This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got a wife, a mother, a hiker, an author, a speaker, all sorts of stuff. Jennifer Farr Davis, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, it's good to be with you. You're coming from where? Beautiful Asheville, South Carolina. Is that correct? Yeah, Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, North Blue Carolina. I'm sorry. That's okay. I've uh, I've been there before. We stopped coming back from Hilton Head Island and uh, went to the Biltmore Mansion. That's where that's at, right? Yes, we have a castle. That thing is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good. Well, it's good to be with you. And like on every uh, show on the Circuit of Success, we always like to find out kind of the backstory, right? You didn't just wake up this uh, wife, mother, hiker, author, speaker, uh, and everything else about you. But so what has helped make you the woman you are today, Jennifer? Well, I think I've definitely followed my dreams along the way. Um, I actually, you know, like a lot of people graduated college and didn't know what it was I was going to do. And I wanted time and a place to try to figure things out. So I'd always heard of the Appalachian Trail and I wasn't a hiker or backpacker, but I thought, well, (laughs) you know, that's a place where I could have five or six months to think. Um, So I grabbed my brother's old Boy Scout gear and headed out on my own. And it was this life changing five month journey, um, which just taught me a lot about life and business, quite frankly. Like it, it taught me about um, the benefits of, of taking risk and facing the fear of failure and how to interact with people who are, are very, very different from you and how to succeed in an environment that you know you can't control, um, how to budget. Like it was just really the best business school um, and school of life that I could have had. And I think that uh, that experience really defined my path going forward. Yes, in the sense that I now run a hiking company and uh, work very much in the outdoor world and industry, but also just how I run my business and the values in my life are all very much predicated off that experience. Now, how does it go down when you call mom, dad, and you say, hey, I know I just graduated college, but I'm going to go like live in the mountains for the next you know month or two. What, what's that conversation like? Uh, well, my dad thought it was awesome and he drove me to the start of the trail oh, wow. <laughs> so that I could awesome. begin. And my mom thought it was the worst idea I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. And they, right. they still, I mean, it's been like a 15 year thing and they haven't changed much. So they still kind of feel the same way. Your dad still thinks it's cool. Mom's like, you're, do- you're, you're doing what? You're helping, like taking people on hiking trips and this is a business? Oh yeah. Yeah. And now I take my babies with me and she's just like, she can't handle it. But I think that's so cool. So did they, did they hike growing up or where did you find that passion? Yeah. Well, my parents were, um, in their past, they did more outdoor stuff. My dad's more traditional, like hunter, fisherman. 
Um, but I was raised on sports, like a lot of kids. I mean, you just go to school and there's so many extracurriculars. I'm kind of struck. My daughter's just in first grade, but it already seems like there's so much programming and scheduling. And so I think nowadays for kids to experience the outdoors, it really has to be a family priority. Um, so no, it was not part of my background, which made that first experience a little bit more stark and jarring, but potentially uh, more important to me um, to just immerse myself in that environment. And uh, and yeah, and now, I mean, we run a business, right? So it's not like we get to live and play outside all the time, but it is important to our family. So we try to take short outings on weekends and my husband and I both um, give each other two weeks a year for personal adventures. And so I backpack, you know, on different trails for a total of two weeks every year. And that's really, really life giving for me. So I'm very grateful for it. That's very cool. So talk to our listeners that may not understand the Appalachian trail and what that consists of and exactly what you did. And, and, I think you'll probably talk about this, but just I'll brag on you a little bit. You have the world record, to my knowledge, uh, for women right now for 47 miles per day for 46 uh, straight days to finish the the entire trail. Fastest it's ever been done. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I've That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, I've hiked over 14,000 miles of long trails on six different continents. Uh, I've been on a trail in all 50 states. I backpacked like 700 miles while I was in my second and third trimesters of pregnancy. I walked across the state of North Carolina, like 1,200 miles nursing my son. So Holy I have smokes. a wide variety. Yeah, a wide variety of trail experiences. But people tend to know me, for better or worse, for the Appalachian Trail record. And so... Um, the AT, which is what we call the Appalachian Trail, is my favorite path, and I've done it three times. So I did it the traditional five-month journey, and it just, again, was so revolutionary. And then with life, you start to have less time. I started my business. I got married, but I really wanted to do this trail again, and one way to try to do it um, was to attempt a record on it, and that really intrigued me because I had always been into sports and endurance. And um, so I went out and at the time uh, that I set the record, I was the fastest man or woman to set the mark and the first woman to ever set an overall record. And so it was 46 days, which is, I think you said 47 miles a day and, uh, and a couple guys have beaten it. So I don't have the record anymore. I don't really claim the women's record because that's not what I was going for. (laughs) But you had the record at that one point and records are made to be broken, right? So that was a big deal at the time and it still is a big deal, but my goodness to to break that record. What a feat. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. Feet being (laughs) critical word there. My feet were totally destroyed at the end of that. But uh, yeah, it was an amazing journey. I'm, I'm really, I just learned so much uh, during those 46 days. And, and paint a picture for us too. Again, those of us that aren't necessarily hikers that would know what this really, that, that this journey is about. I mean, you're, you're walking in cold temperatures, you're walking in hot temperatures, you're walking in snow. Talk about the, the thing that happened to your eyeball. I mean, talk about some of those stories so our listeners really understand. This is not like you just went out for a walk one day. I mean, this thing, there's planning, the food, you know, your nutrition intake, your sleep, your shoes. I mean, everything that went into that. Talk to us about that. Yeah, there are so many logistics that go into hiking a long trail. And the Appalachian Trail is one of the more forgiving ones for beginners. 
Um, and I was certainly a novice starting out and I made plenty of mistakes, but there's a community out there and they help each other and correct one another if you're doing something wrong or making mistakes. And there's plenty of access points, trail towns, road crossings, where if you, you know, make a blunder, usually can, you can get off, you can take a day off, you can change out gear, you can get more food. Um, but still, to hike the whole thing, you are planning food drops and resupplies for about six months every day. You're thinking, where am I getting my water? Where are the best places to camp? Um, it's really, really strategic. And it's funny, the most common profession I meet on the trail or career field, um, it typically tends to be engineers. Like there are so many engineers who are hikers. And I think it's just the problem solving aspect. Yeah. Like hiking along trail is just solving one problem after another, after another. So it draws in people like engineers who like to solve problems. Um, so in a traditional journey on the Appalachian Trail, again, the average time it takes is six months. So you're going to have everything. You're going to have um, below freezing temps. You're going to have snow. You're going to have hot, humid summer on the East Coast. You're going to have bugs. You're going to have a ton of rocks, like the Mid-Atlantic. If you haven't hiked... Um, in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, you might not know this, but like for 180 miles, every step is like on a sharp, jagged rock. It is oh, brutal. Wow. Uh, and then you get all the great wildlife, the bears, the deer, the hawks, the turkey, you know, snakes, salamander, moose up in New England. Uh, it's amazing. But like the, what the Appalachian Trail is, it's it is a life-changing journey. And it is not, you know, when I did the record, people were trying to define it in numbers. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like once again, okay, yes, you can see the data and it's impressive and maybe someone hasn't done it that way before, but I want you to ask me how it changed my life. Cause that's why yeah, I was out there. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't something to check off. It wasn't necessarily, you know, this accolade or accomplishment. And I love that it's so apart from traditional sports in that sense. Like you don't get a finisher t-shirt, you know, there's no right. like trophy at the end. I was We're like waiting on you and screaming for you at the end saying you can yeah. do it. Right. No, I didn't have the cheering section, but what I, I mean, going for the record, what was so powerful for me, I think the, there was so much, but part of me trying for this overall record is I had for a long time thought that it wasn't possible for me to do it because I didn't think that women could compete with guys or set an overall record. And I'd really put myself in a different category and limited myself because of that. And I just saw it. Like I saw the way that my mind was limiting my performance. And to go back and try for the overall record, I knew I would probably fail I knew I would face a lot of like criticism and naysayers and negativity, people saying you can't right. go out there and beat the guys who win 100-mile races, who have set the record. Like you're a woman who's never won a 5K. Like what business <laughs> do you have doing that? Um, so it's sort of this um, personal journey to learn how to trust my ability and my um, inner voice and to just let my body perform without the mental or social stigmas or limitations that just surround us every day. It was just this letting loose and saying, what can I do? And because of that, it just felt very primal and fierce and like beautiful. And then I got to share it with my husband who was supporting me along the way. And it really became a process less of setting a record and less about comparisons, but just about like finding my best. Um, 
So again, really powerful. And I have not done one 47 mile day since then. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm done. I'm tapped out. So I read somewhere too, you thought about, you know, at one point this was going to get easier, right? You're going to find that path. It's going to get easier. But I think mentally and physically it got much harder, right? So how do you, how do you overcome that? And, and what did you learn from that? Oh, well, that, you know, really on my first hike, I started and I was like, okay, at some point this trail gets easier. <laughs> like at some point, this is fun. Like I just have to get used to it. I just have to get out of the cold. I just have to get away from this, you know, hiker that's been following me for a few days. who's really annoying. I just have to get out of the rocks. I just have to get out of the bugs. I just have to get out of the heat. And it took like 1600 miles. I mean, I was in Vermont when I, because in Vermont, the whole time you hear, oh, the toughest two states are Maine and New Hampshire. And, you know, I don't think I did a great overview, but the Appalachian Trail is 2,190 miles long and it travels through 14 states between Georgia and Maine. So I'm in Vermont. Yeah, I'm in Vermont. I've gone through 12 states this whole time I've heard Maine and New Hampshire are the toughest. And at that point, I'm just like, Dang it. Like, like it is never <laughs> going cool. to get easier. Like I was convinced this whole time that at some point it would just become like, you know, not as hard, not as tough. And what I realized in that, cause I really thought about stopping or, or quitting or doing something different. And when I went back to the trail, the thing I had accepted, which was different from when I started, like I went back after taking a day off in Vermont and the mindset I had going forward was this is going to be hard. I am not in control and the trail doesn't care what I want. <laughs> so yeah. basically it took down 1600 miles to um, break down this like entitled 21 year old, like I can control my environment. The world owes me something. And it just took just you know, all the storms and all the bugs and all the cold and all the rocks to be like, oh, like I can change. Like my attitude, right. my expectations, like my outlook, like that can all change. Like, but my environment is not going to change for me. And so when I went back out, it was interesting because I headed into like the toughest part of the trail and I loved it. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, I loved it because I accepted it for what it was. And, and then I was changing uh, as opposed to the trail, if that makes sense. So Absolutely it does. But yeah. what, what triggered that though? Because you don't just like wake up one day, you're cold, your feet hurt, you're tired, you're hungry, bug bites all over. And just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to flip the switch today. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to go, you know, embrace the challenge. Like, so do you, do you remember like an aha moment or like a defining point for you that, that did flip the switch? Yeah, but it's going to be a real letdown for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want more. It's I need more like than this, that. I know. It's not this, like, mountaintop epiphany. Like, I'd just gone through this really hard journey, and I was just really worn down, and I had 500 miles left to go, and I got to a road, and I was like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know if I want to keep going. And so I got a ride into town, and I'd, always, I'd never been to New England, and I'd always heard how, like, idyllic it is. And it is. It's so quaint and so cute. And because of that, you can't afford anything up there. So like, right, I got exactly. to this town and I was like, shoot, I can't afford like a hotel or anything in this town. So I had to get another ride a few miles down the road. And now I'm at this like isolated, you know, dank motel where I check in and there's nothing around and I can't walk to anything. So I go in my room at like 1 p.m. and I take a shower. And that was awesome because showers 
are always awesome. <laughs> She's yes. been hiking. But no, you know, it's like early afternoon, there's nothing to do. And I just, I turn on the TV and they have a few channels. And the only thing that really seems like worth watching to me was the MTV Music Awards. And it was on rerun. It wasn't even live. So yeah. I watched like five hours of the MTV Music Awards. And I turned the TV off after that um, MTV coma. And I was like, oh, man, I want to go back to the trail. And it wasn't like anything negative had happened watching the show. But I realized that everything I was viewing was like produced and it was synthetic and it was so image driven. And, you know, it was just nothing about what I saw felt real. And what I realized in that moment was that my struggles were so hard, but everything I was experiencing, I was experiencing so deeply, like everything felt so real. And it was the most alive, even though it was tough, it was the most alive I had ever felt. And I think the conclusion, the epiphany was like, I don't want to live a produced life. I don't want to feel synthetic. I want to go out to where the experiences are deep and real and I'm alive. And even if it hurts, I'd rather feel it than maintain this like image driven status quo. Um, so I kept hiking and that was it. That was like, this is this, I'm accepting this challenge for what it is. And yeah. That that my was my MTV moment. So thank you. Well, no, I think that's <laughs> great. Too. Really down is I, I don't want to live a produced life. I want to I want to live. I want to feel alive. I mean, that's you yeah. know, there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Because there is so much in our world today, whether it's social media, whether it's the MTV Music Awards, whatever it is, so much is produced and is that authentic, true self for for Jennifer Farr Davis. That's what you wanted to have, right? Yeah. That was it. So I like that. Yeah. And then the trail just sort of became my home. Like you spend enough time out there. I mean, I feel so comfortable now with my backpack on my back in the woods. Um, so, and it's just, you know, it really is a returning to our roots and what humans did for such a long time. And I think our society, like we'll, we're willing to talk about like organic food and the potential benefits of that. But so much of our life is not how it's not natural. Like the speed we travel, like driving in cars or like even the colors and, and the noises and the notifications, like there's so many unnatural sounds and unnatural, you know, paces to our day. And um, hmm. so just returning to like, yeah. Um, Real life. An environment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that feels good. It's important. It's healthy. It's therapy. So talk to us about the times when you were setting out there and you're by yourself or you had people around you, whatever it may be, and you were scared, right? Whether it was, I'm scared of the bear or I'm scared of this next, you know, horizon I've got to go over and go past. And, and I and think about the person that's listening to this that's in the boardroom and says, I'm scared of this presentation or I'm scared of, you know, going home and having this conversation or I'm scared of my health or whatever it may be. How do you get past being scared? My fears, it's just interesting. Like my fears were unfounded and irrational. And then a lot of times like facing my fears became the best part of the experience. So a couple of examples, 
Um, well, first of all, I was scared of bears and snakes, right? I think that's a really common fear for people. And experiencing wildlife in its natural habitat has been really one of the highlights of being outdoors for me. And I realized that, you know, they see me as an animal and, and in a natural outdoor setting, they have so much space and it's really rare for them to feel threatened in that area. If they're in your neighborhood or on your road, like, sure. But I just, um, you know, one of the highlights for me of setting the Appalachian Trail record was actually in 46 days, I saw 36 black bears. And um, wow. yeah, I just, it, it's great to realize that we are also animals and we're in our natural environment out there and to observe the other creatures who live there. It's just really amazing. And it's okay to feel fear. Like I step near a snake, I round a turn and see a bear. My body is scared like my spine stiffens you feel a rush of adrenaline and I used to think that was bad like I used to think oh my gosh like when you feel scared or fearful like those are negative emotions and that's not true at all like those feelings are keeping us safe those immediate reactions are telling us create space back up like they're yeah. actually very positive messages when you can listen to them and, you know, another thing I was really worried about going out there, 21 year old hiking by myself before the age of way before the age of smartphones. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be so bored and so lonely. And I remember one of the first days I felt bored and lonely on the trail. And I was like, ah, like, I've still got like, you know, five more months of this. <laughs> There's no right. one around. There's nothing to do. I can hike. I don't have to hike. I've thought through my thoughts. I sang through songs out loud very poorly. What am I going to do? And it felt so like uncomfortable. It's like, ah, I'm bored. And I think it was so awkward because it was the first time in my life I didn't feel any pressure to like react or respond or produce. And so I had to get comfortable with myself and I had to learn who I was. And, and the more I started to do that, the more I loved being bored. <laughs> like, I love being lonely. I mean, you can call it that. But really, what I found in those moments was, was that there was this like deep sense of peace out there that I had never experienced anywhere else. And it was okay. It was okay to not be a producer. It was okay to not follow social cues. Like I could learn what made me laugh with no one else around or what made me cry. You know, like it just I don't know. I became a much better part of the community, which I love the community out there because I had time by myself. Yeah. Um, so again, huge fear. What am I going to do? This is going to be so uh, isolating. And then I find the solitude is one of the most like uh, rewarding aspects of the whole experience. So a lot of times like our fears uh, either are, you know, they may be unfounded, but they can also be so rewarding when we walk through that fear. Yeah. Well, I think too, the, the, the fears we put in our minds, how many of them actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be like any of them? Right. No, none. Not for me. Right. Yeah. None. Um, talk to us about this self image. So how do we view ourselves? I read again somewhere that you talked about viewing yourself through the lens of natural connections. So talk to me about that. Um, it's so powerful. Like, I really want to tell every like high school girl and you know the country this message because I I needed to hear it in high school. But I really think it's important for like all ages, all gender identities. Like, I know that spending five months in the woods really changed my self image on my first through hike, and part of it was 
well, part of it's not really possible anymore because I started before the age of the selfie. So I wasn't <laughs> taking digital pictures of myself. I didn't have a mirror. I didn't see my reflection. And so I started to see myself through interactions with other hikers. So, you know, if I was kind, if I could make someone else smile, that made me feel pretty. And, uh, you know, growing, growing up as a kid, I always thought that nature was beautiful, but I never saw myself as uh, a part of nature, right? Like it, it was pretty no, right. beautiful, but it was, it was out the window. Right? From so, us, and, yeah. yeah, until I walked through it. And then like, I realized, and this was the aha moment. Like I was on top of the, like the most beautiful mountain with no one else around. The sun was setting everywhere you look, there's no development. It's just pristine, conserved mountain ridges, forest, and I had this moment where I knew that I was a part of it. And everything I saw was so beautiful. So to see the ridges and the forest and the wildflowers and feel the breeze and hear the birds and know in my soul that I was a part of it, like I felt so beautiful. And I felt powerful. And I felt a little bit wild. Like I was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel. And that was really one thing because I was not on this first hike thinking, oh, I'm going to do another big hike or another or another. Right. I was like, this is going to lead me into my 30 year like office job or whatever. <laughs> but I got off and, and I started to lose that feeling. Like I started to lose that sense of beauty. And I realized how much magazines and commercials and billboards impacted me, which I didn't before the trail. But, you know, before that hike, I feel like I had forgiven all the parts of my body that weren't our norm or the standard of beauty. Like yeah. I thought, I went in thinking there's parts of me that are that are not right, but I have to be okay with it. And then I got on the trail and all the parts of me that weren't right were awesome. Like I'm six feet tall. I love being six feet tall on the trail. I have really thick legs and big calves and all of a sudden they get me up mountains and I'm right. super flat chested. And now it's just called ultralight. Like it's amazing. Like I don't have <laughs> extra weight to carry. And I just realized I didn't have to forgive my body. And that was very, very powerful for me. Um, it's a really big deal. I mean, especially for, you know, women, right? When you think about makeup and your hair and, you know, you, you're, the shoes you wear. I mean, all the stuff that they, you put that pressure on yourself, right? And to, to have that yeah. learning at 21 years old, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal, but it's hard. We have to relearn it, right? Like, I feel like I went through it again this year. Um, so I own my own hiking company, Blue Ridge Hiking Company, and I look like a hiker with the, who runs a hiking company. And okay. I'm an author, so whatever. I can wear my pajamas and write. But I'm also right. a professional speaker, and I applied for this national certification, and my video didn't pass. And one of the things they said was, Oh, well, you don't look nice enough. You don't look nicer than your audience. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm oh, talking wow. to bankers. Yeah. I, and I looked, you know, plenty nice. Like I had on a dress and it was professional. Like I wasn't in hiking garb, but I wasn't right. wearing a blazer. I didn't have on like hairspray makeup. And I don't feel like that's me. And so there was this moment of like, do I have to do that? Like, do I need to, I love speaking. I love being a professional speaker. I love sharing my messages. But part of my message is like this natural beauty connection. Right. You know? And so and so I really struggled with that. I was like, do I need to conform? Do I need to play the game so I can do what I love? And uh, I came out of it on the other side saying, 
you know, I'm going to look as nice as I possibly can and still be comfortable in my own skin, which means I'm not doing the hairspray and I'm probably not wearing a blazer, but you know, <laughs> I'll, look, I'll look as nice as I can. And, um, so it's hard because that was, you know, you keep going through it. You don't just go through it in high school. You go through it professionally as well. Right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. That takes a lot of uh, courage to share that. So I appreciate that. Um, talk to me about the habits and rituals, whether that's today or like in your, you know, your, your hikes. I mean, what, what are the no-miss things right now for you as a business owner, a mom, you know, the speaker, author, all the stuff you're doing, a wife? What are those no-miss things that Jennifer Farr Davis has got to do without miss? Oh, that's a really good question. Two weeks a year of backpacking, that's the priority. We try to schedule that very early on because the schedule just gets totally eaten up. And my kids are two and six. So it's a really tough time of life. And I don't have a regular schedule because I do, you know, a lot of talks and they're on random days and weekends. And then the hiking company is, um, you know, it's main season is March through October, but big trips just take a lot of time. So it's very project based, my work, and there's no schedule to it. But I do have this one ritual um, that recently I've, I've realized how important it is to me. And it isn't a daily or weekly ritual, but it stems from the trail. Because when I first started hiking, I thought, okay, and it's another fear, right? I was like, one of the biggest mistakes you can make it's getting lost. Like, don't get lost, right? And what I learned pretty, pretty early on is that getting lost is not the mistake. Getting lost is a natural, it is an inherent part of any long journey. It's how you respond that matters. And the first couple of times I got lost on the trail, I like panicked. I was like, this is what I didn't want. I'm lost. I'm off trail. Where's the trail? And I always had this idea of, oh, it's over here. It's over to the right. And so I would just like try to bushwhack and like race back to the trail. And, oh, it just led to the worst situations. Like at one point I was like climbing out of a ravine. At another point I was like in this like cactus patch in the Southern California desert. I was like, this is bad. And so what I had to do on the trail is I started like implementing this routine where whenever I realized that I was off trail, not where I thought I was, not where I wanted to be, the first thing I did was I would take a deep breath and I would tell myself getting lost is not a mistake. And then I would pull out food and I would pull out water and this seems so simple, but you make better decisions when you eat and drink. So I'd always have a snack, always drink. And then I look at all my resources, like my map, my guidebook, my compass, my app, whatever I have on that trail try to get a feel for the landscape, try to pinpoint where I think I might be. And I ask myself the question, where was the last place you are confident that you were on the right path? And then I almost always try to backtrack to that point. And, um, you know, I'm talking to well, you today. It's so huge in the, in, the, in the business world, the personal world, your right. relationship. I mean, everything you're saying is spot on for anything, right? Take a deep breath, right. eat some food, backtrack. I mean, yeah. everything you're saying. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but I just wanted to make that point. No, that's what became clear to me. Cause even like that, that's what hit. It was like, Oh my gosh, like this is for like my faith. This is for my relationship. This is yep. for my business. Like there, I feel at times in all those journeys lost or like, how did I get here? You know? And it, it does seem so simplistic, but I mean, really taking a deep breath, I think it's this pause, like it's this physical pause of like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, give in to the anxiety or the panic. I'm going to take a breath. This is not a mistake. And like the snacks help, like serious. And sometimes it's a glass of wine when I'm off trail. But <laughs> just like right, exactly. eat some food, 
drink some water, whatever. And then we all have resources. Like maybe it's your business plan. Maybe it's a counselor, you know, maybe it's a spiritual advisor, close friends or family. Like we all have these resources available to us. And we like pull out all those resources and then just ask ourselves, where do I remember feeling like I was in the right place, headed in the right direction? And how do I get back there? And it's just, yeah. So that is like my routine that I'm like, okay, this applies to hiking, but really anything. This has been so helpful for me in my everyday life, even as a mom, you know? Absolutely. So I got a question for you that I've never asked this on an, uh, on a podcast before. So I apologize. I'm going to ask you, but I think it's a great question. My, I have four boys. They're in eighth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade, and kindergarten. And oh. I, what's that? I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. And so uh, my eighth grader and sixth grader were asked this question. I thought it was a great question by their teacher. And, and, and she said, would you rather be the best player on the worst team or would you rather be the worst player on the best team? What's your answer? And I, just, I want to play. I mean, that's my, <laughs> I want to play. I want to play ball. Like if I'm the worst player on the best team and I don't see any like, you know, game time. Right. I don't know. I don't see that as fulfilling. Like it's not the most important thing for me to be the best or the worst. Like those back and change. Just and those play, are just yeah. labels. I just want to be in the game. Right. Like, I don't That's a be good point because I didn't think of it that way. My boys kind of answered it this way, and this is the way I answered it was, if I'm the worst player on the best team, I know I'm going to be surrounding myself with great people, which is important, right? And I know that I right. know the effort and energy I'm going to put into it. I'm, I'm all in. So if I'm all in, sure. I know that people around me are all in, right? And that's who sure. I want to choose to surround myself with. So I don't know. I think, but that's a good, that's a good point too. Cause how would I feel if I'm sitting on the bench? So I'm the worst player and I never see any game time. Like, well, that would stink too. Right. I also think like if you're the best player on the worst team, that's like an incredible challenge to say like, well, we're not going to be the worst team when we finish. Like I have a real leadership opportunity on this team. And if I'm the worst, you know, your servant leader, <laughs> the worst player on the best team. But um, I think you have, a real ability to like enact change. Like you have nothing to lose on the worst team. So you can try new things. You can be a dynamic leader. Like you literally have nothing to lose. You're on the worst team. So I don't know. I think it is a really interesting question. I like it because I love sports. Um, I would be on the Tar Heel basketball team. That is there you go. (laughs) That's another great question to ask people. What basketball team would you be on? You're on the, you're on the the Tar Heels, huh? So you're not, not the Dukies. No, not the Duke. I would be on the high heels. How do you find uh, satisfaction and self-care for yourself? Oh, I backpack two weeks a year. I think I've mentioned that. You have. I love it. <laughs> well, let me understand this. So you have, you each have your, uh, we would jokingly call the kitchen pass, right? So you say, hey, honey, yeah. I'm leaving for whatever. This trip's going to be four days and I'm going yep. to California and I'm going and you're going, whether it's by yourself or with a group of hiking friends and you just go. Yep. Yes, yes. Usually by myself, sometimes with friends. I was doing um, some adventures far, farther away from home, and I realized that didn't really feel good for this season of life. Like, again, my kids are six and two. Yeah. So I didn't want to be, like, I was in the Wind River Range, which is one of the most, like, gorgeous places in the country, but very remote in the middle of Wyoming. And I was like, this feels too far. And my kids were fine, you know, and I was yep. fine. But you know, moms have that emotional and connection. And so, yeah, most of the time 
I'm taking three days, four days, five days, whatever throughout the year totals, you know, about two weeks. And it's within a day's drive of Asheville, North Carolina. And it just feels good. And I love it because I feel so, you know, probably most of the people listening to this show, they're pretty driven. They have a lot of expectations, a lot of obligations. And I definitely feel that in my everyday life, like wanting to be the best mom, wanting to be the best boss, the best wife, like wanting to be a better writer, better speaker. And like now when I go to the trail, it used to be very, very planned, right? But now the trail's like going to like a second home. Like I don't, I need the right gear, but I get out there and I just love that the trail takes you as you are. So I try not to plan it. I really try to like deregulate the experience. Like one day I might go 30 miles to feel like, man, I've still got it. You know, I can still do (laughs) this. That's so empowering. And then like one day I might go like, three and swim in a lake and play and just look at all the flowers and just be by myself and enjoy the quiet and enjoy not have to answer to anyone or meet any expectations, you know? Yeah, so no, just, absolutely. Oh, it's nice to have something that's not scheduled and without expectations. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what would you care. tell yourself if looking back, if you could go, you know, whatever, pick the year, five, 10, 15 years back, what would you tell the Jennifer Farr Davis of that time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I just think back to high school and maybe, you know, I'm a speaker that goes to corporations and conferences, but I really have this heart for high school students. And I feel like I tell them like a lot of what I think I needed to hear when I was that age. And there's so much pressure. And again, like you're talking to a lot of achievers, right? Like through your podcast and, and even in high school, that's sort of like how we're acting and there's so much pressure. And I just thought, you know, for, for me personally, like it was such a big deal, what college I got into, or I thought I needed to have it all figured out. And I think I would, if I could have just told myself, like life is an adventure, you know, like it doesn't always go as planned. You're not in control, but you like, you are smart and you're talented and you are part of nature. So you're really beautiful. And like, if you put all these like gifts that you have out there and work hard, then like good things are going to happen. Um, so yeah, I just wish I could have kind of like shaken myself a little bit in high school and, uh, maybe realize that the things that I thought were so important or that the world thought were so important were not going to bring me long-term contentment like other things have, you know, like my family and like time outdoors. So just that perspective. Well, it's great perspective. And uh, so where can our listeners find more of you? They're in the one, obviously on social media. We'll talk about that, but uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about your company down in Asheville, North Carolina. What are you guys doing? What are you helping people with? Sure. So our company is Blue Ridge Hiking Company, and we help people with trips, day hikes, backpacking trips. Um, we work with conferences and corporate groups. We also have a, a lightweight backpacking boutique in downtown Asheville and a bunkhouse on the Appalachian Trail and shuttles and gear rentals. So we are oh, like, okay, cool. how can we help you get outside? Yeah, we're, we're all about it. So you go um, glamping so with you guys? Is that, uh, can you go glamping? No. No, we're not glampers. We're like teachers. <laughs> like we're we're not even like we're not going to bring you the coffee to your tent in the morning. I'm right. sorry. We're going to no, teach like you it. how to work how to work the camp stove and how to make your own coffee and how you can throw a bear bag on your own. Like we want to teach people. We want to empower people. You know. Um, 
so yeah, we're really like instructional and educationally focused and, um, and we really like making the trail accessible for everyone. And that's one reason we use all this great lightweight gear is because for youth or petite women or older couples or people with special concerns or joint issues, it's really great not to carry a 40 pound pack and instead have a 25 pound pack. So um, yeah, we're all about it. Blue Ridge Hiking Company. Uh, and then personally, you know, it's Jennifer Far Davis. Uh, and I'm a speaker and I have several books. The most recent is The Pursuit of Endurance, uh, which is just this awesome study of the psychology of endurance. And it has really great uh, adventure stories, but it's good for professionals as well. And then the bestseller has been Becoming Odessa, which is about my first journey on the Appalachian Trail when I was 21. So that awesome. yeah, that's the scoop. Well, great. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for being with us on the Circuit of Success. I know I got lots out of this, and uh, I know our listeners will as well. So thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good one. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 